Hello, and welcome back to another episode of After School with Dylan Mack. Today we interview Ilana Weinstein, author, teacher, and executive coach of voice programs at Google. Ilana is an accomplished executive leadership coach and organizational psychologist, known for her extensive experience across education, nonprofit, and corporate sectors while utilizing her expertise in authentic leadership, team dynamics, change management, and strategic vision. Today, we sit down with Alana to delve into her journey becoming a leadership coach. We'll explore what drives her passion for leadership and development, how she's been able to make such a significant impact in various sectors, how she navigates the challenges of being a leader, and everything in between. I also know these episodes can get long, so I added on the website, theafterschoolpod.com, a new and reformed layout for the episodes where each one will now have a learn more button that has all the main takeaways, summaries, and timestamps for the episode. You can't listen to the whole thing. We know that life gets busy, so feel free to check out the website and check that out. Thank you. Ilana, thank you so much again for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks, Dylan. <laughs> and uh, so I just like to start off with a question that like, you know, my parents don't like because I think it's informal and I keep saying this <laughs> to everyone. <laughs> but basically, whatever you think, like, you know, when you're introducing yourself, just give it to us, you know, like the audience doesn't know who you are. So if you could just give like your name, who you are, what you do, just like a quick preview, you know? Sure. Uh, my name is Ilana Weinstein. I am a native New Yorker, born and raised in New York City, and uh, but currently split my time between New York and Massachusetts, mostly because my kids are in Massachusetts for school, and also it's a little bit of a COVID story. Um, and I currently work at Google. I've been at Google for seven years, and I've done a variety of work there, but all people-oriented. So leadership development, executive coaching, organizational development, um, et cetera. (laughs) Yeah, so quick question before we go into the signature question, which I already know you've read. Mm -hmm. But um, your job, is it it like like you just happen to work at Google, but like you're not doing anything like very specific to Google? You're just like kind of, mentoring people and like could you translate this over to somewhere else or is it something specific to google like yeah great great question so yes and no um (laughs) it's it's uh the the particular role that i'm in at this time is very specific to google because i don't know of many other companies that have a role like this or a team like mine so it's a, it's a uniquely Google kind of role, which I can say a little bit more about. But the type of work that I do, um, which has always been in the leadership development space or the learning space or the organizational development space, that is not unique to Google. That's, that's something I could definitely do at other organizations. Yeah. Got it. So it is a mix. Yeah. 
But um, anyways, to get into the signature question, which I know you know, but um, the audience knows. But imagine you're my age, mm-hmm. 17 years old, or you know, I, I'm a, ugh, I'm a rising senior now, so I'm going. <laughs> but like, imagine you're like more like a sophomore, junior. You're right. You're not fully decided where you want to go to college or anything yet. Sure. But like, Tuesday night, just got back from school. What are you doing? Are you studying and hitting the books right away? Are you, you know, socializing? Are you taking a nap? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so it, it kind of varied depending on the extracurricular activity and the day, but either I was doing, um, a few different possible, there are a few different possibilities. Either I was, um, in rehearsal because I was an arts and theater kid. And so, Oh, like a musical. Well, yeah. So I was either acting, dancing or singing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a theater kid. I was a total theater kid. So that was my this passion. Is like a total, this is a total different than theater. I know maybe not, but yeah, we, I, I can weave you the story of how what I'm doing now sort of relates to, to that. But no, theater yeah, was my, right. I can see it. yeah, theater was my passion, one of my passions. And so I, I loved dancing, singing, acting, and tried to be involved in those activities at my school or outside of school. Um, if I wasn't in a rehearsal, I was hanging out with friends in deep conversation in the hallway. <laughs> And if nice. honestly, <laughs> and if I wasn't doing that, I was probably reading a book because I was a big, big, and still am a big reader. Um, just love. That's funny. You work at Google, but you're a big, big book reader. A big book reader. I, yeah, I was an English major. So in college. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So what, touching that more, when you were a kid, what were you seems like, I guess you were into, like, what were you thinking, like, when your parents or whoever were like, hey, what do you want to do when you're older? What were you, what were you telling people? I, you know, I never had a very clear idea of what I quote unquote wanted to be when I grew up. Like, you know, some people know from the time they're 12, oh, I want to be a doctor or, oh, I want to go into this profession. And I just had a lot of interests. I was a creative kid. And I definitely, for a period of time, thought, oh, I'll pursue acting and I'll be an actor. And then as I got older and the reality of that set in and I realized how much rejection was involved in auditioning and trying to make it as a working sure. actor, um, I, you know, I, I changed course. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if someone asked me what I was interested in, Definitely books, literature, theater, um, and also there is one particular activity that I did in my senior year of high school that's very similar to the work that I'm doing now. So um, there was a program at my school called Peer Leadership. Mm. I'm actually a peer leader right now. Oh, well, yeah. I haven't done it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's for the senior Yeah, so seniors um, met with freshmen on a weekly basis and had conversations about a whole variety of topics, right? Anything that was challenging, um, how to navigate 
high school and uh, that activity is similar to the to the work that I do now. Yeah, you're one of the few people I've seen who like seems like you're into books, which I guess people would categorize as like more of like a indoor or like or more like a like a cut off yeah. quiet activity but then also like you like acting which is very like vulnerable uh-huh. vulnerable which is very interesting it's a great point um, yeah though i'm curious because acting stuff like were you a very outgoing extroverted or you know whatever social kid or do you think you were more reserved yeah great great question so um in hindsight now that i am where i am i know that i was born an introvert so I definitely get my energy and recharge by being alone versus being with people. I'm very happy by myself with a book. Um, <laughs> and I, I, you know, I, I need quiet at times. I love being in nature. So there's a lot about introversion and that, you know, connects with who I am. But yes, acting is, you'd think, right, is all about extroversion. So I like to say that I'm a functioning extrovert (laughs) (laughs) because I have to be for my job and my work. And there was a part of me that really loved being on stage. Um, And so I think I'm a little bit, you know, when you study that field of introversion versus extroversion, it's usually the case that people fall somewhere on the scale and are rarely like one or the other. So I think I'm mostly an introvert with some extrovert tendencies. <laughs> yeah. So how, how, did, how did you develop that? Because, um, you know, I know some introverts. I mean, I guess I'm probably more extrovert, but like a lot of introverts would like to be more outgoing and more whatever. And obviously you do it for your job. But like what advice would you give to like, you know, more introverted people? On, like I guess like yourself you're saying and how do you like – how did you make yourself get out there, you know? Yeah. You know, any, like, tips or tricks? Yeah, yeah. Well, so it's not about changing who you are or changing your style because you have to be true to who you are and you have to be authentic, right? Um, so what I talk to people about is it's kind of like when you're in the car with someone and you're playing music on the radio, which, you know, not so often on the radio these days. But you're playing music <laughs> on the radio and depending on who's in the car with you, you either adjust the volume up five notches or you adjust the volume down five notches, but you don't have to change the station, right? Like you can play the kind of music you ah, want to play. I've never heard this. This is pretty cool. Yeah. And so it's, I, I, I use that example because it's kind of like you need to be true to who you are, but you also need to adjust 5% and adapt 5% to whoever's with you. So it's, um, and it's being aware of other people's communication styles and preferences and, and adapting. So some one, one specific trick or tip that I would say for people who like me, who are introverts is, um, ask people questions, right? Cause just like you're doing, um, <laughs> because if Thanks. you're not comfortable making small talk or that feels uncomfortable or scary, Um, All you have to do is ask one really powerful question and all of a sudden you're in a conversation. 
I mean, yeah, easier said than done, I bet, but you know, <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. So then like, we should talk more about, you know, your development. So you got into, you're more into English yep. acting. Mm-hmm. Of course you saw how hard that world is. I bet. Yeah. So yeah. I'll tell you right now, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Mm-hmm. I like acting. I'm very extroverted. Uh-huh. I obviously am not like naive enough to like not realize that it's probably it's like probably something I will not do when I'm older mm-hmm. right I, but you know um what 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 so like when I interview people normally they have like I say there's two things that I've realized it's either they had a sudden switch yeah like sudden event that happened to them where they were like oh my god this is like what I'm into or this is what I'm good at I'm gonna pursue this as a career or it was more gradual right like maybe I don't know, your parents were like, hey, and like, uh, like, you know, influenced by that or your friends and slowly built up. So which one would you say your career path was? Because obviously it seems like you're into English. So if you could just give us more about like, I guess the journey to, yeah. to hear, to Google. Because also, yeah, I don't even know how Google like started, right? Like what did it even, <laughs> sorry, that's a really, I went on for a while, but. That's okay. Know. So the, um, we can get, without getting too deep into psychology here, because <laughs> I studied English and psychology, um, the switch for me happened because of an event, as you said, that had to do with family. And um, it was a pretty significant life event in that my parents split up when I was a senior in high school. And I- Oh, wow. Yep. Just about to go to college. Yeah, yeah. Um, it had been brewing for a little while, but uh, they officially split up when I was a senior in high school. Um, and I had a really interesting college process, by the way. So that's like a whole other story, and I don't want to scare you. But I had oh a, no I had, no 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 I had a pretty unusual college process, and I ended up making a decision to go to NYU Tisch School of the Arts to be a major in drama. Um, And, you know, Tisch School of the Arts is a pretty competitive um, program or, you know, and so I was accepted and I thought, all right, let me give it a go and spent my first year of college all in on theater, studying voice, movement, acting, technical theater, um, as well as some academics, but really theater was the main thing that I studied. Like live theater? Yeah, I mean... Theater's always live. Yeah, like acting, you know, acting classes, um, everything about the theater world. And uh, so since I was born and raised in New York City and I went to NYU for my freshman year of school and stuff that was happening in my home, in my household, I really wanted to go away to college. I didn't want to be in the same city that I grew up in. I needed to get away from home and I transferred. So that was, that was the switch. I I transferred after my first year of college and became, decided to major in English and psychology and ended up doing theater as an extracurricular instead of majoring in it. Really? Yes. And and 
if your parents were not in this situation, do you think you still would have transferred? Or do you think you might have oh, stayed? Oh boy, that I is, guess you'll never know, right? I will like, never know. I will never know. That's the million dollar question. I mean, um, I knew going into NYU that I would graduate with a BFA in acting. And there is a part of me, the practical side of me, that said, I'm not sure how employable I'm going to be with a BFA in acting. So maybe no, I No, trust should... me. I, yeah. yeah. I've heard a, we've talked a lot about that because, like, honestly, not to interrupt you, sorry, but no. I'm also like, you know, I don't know. We're like, we're looking. Yep. And, you know, NYU, I like New York a lot and it's cool and, like, I like acting. But, of course, we know how <laughs> irregular acting is. Yeah. And then also, yeah, my parents have also been discussing, like, is a BFA really, like, like, if you don't, you know, if you don't make it as whatever, then kind of are you stuck? Anyway, sorry. Yeah. yeah. I, I understand exactly no. where you're coming from, though. Yeah, that, that's okay. I, um, and what I, you know, what I didn't really consider then that I've thought a lot about now is that there are so many jobs related to theater aside from acting. In other words, I could have been a stage manager right? A stage manager is a great job for someone who loves theater, likes to be behind the scenes, is really organized, wants to be around actors, but you don't necessarily have to be an actor, right? Or someone who's a set designer, or someone who's a costume designer, or like all the other people who work in theater in role in professions that are not acting and, yeah, so, yeah and then that helps the bfa helps in all of those worlds i'd assume yeah like i think i think i would have you know one possible dream job would have been to be a stage manager on broadway <laughs> hey i mean that's pretty cool but um anyway so it seems like at the time you were and also how how big was i know acting was still like you know it's definitely like, was it seen as, like, uh, how do I say this? Like, like was acting, you know, was it something that you were thinking was a possible career, like, at the time? You know, at that time, it was still a possibility. And I'll tell you why. Because um, to get into Tish to that program you have to be pretty focused on it. Like I got headshots done. I had yeah. to prepare a monologue for an audition. I had to demonstrate that I had studied theater and I was accepted. Right. So it was, there was a little glimmer of like, hmm, maybe I, maybe I could do this. Um, so there was definitely a question around, could I make it work? And at the same time, I knew just how incredible, like the odds, the statistics of. It's so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, there's there's that whole thing now, right? It's like they're doing the strike because like 83, yeah. I heard the statistic like 83% of people in like the guild came and pay like for health in, or like insurance or something Exactly. Like exactly. So it's like, so honestly, Younger you is probably smart, honestly. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, who knows, right? Who, whoever knows. But yeah. anyways, to continue more on that then, how, how was that transition from, you know, being on a stage to then 
English and psychology. I mean, I can see how some parts would translate, but obviously they are different. So how is that? Well, I I will tell you, I absolutely loved being an English major. Loved it. And, you know, it gets knocked now, like, oh, what can you do? Uh, You know, Avenue Q, what do you do with a BA in English? Um, But I'll tell you, it's if you're going to college and you're just not sure about what you want to do and you're not sure what you want to major in and it's not crystal clear, an English major is a great major. And it's because people ask me, like, well, how, did, how have you used your degree, that degree in your work? And I say, I use it every day. Because part of being an English major is writing papers where you have to make a case or make an argument or prove a thesis and persuade the reader or persuade someone or influence someone around your way of thinking. And that applies to every single day in life, in real life. And also, the other thing I loved about being an English major is, quite honestly, I learned so much about people, all kinds of people from all different backgrounds through books. Like, I read tons of different authors. I read human stories, you know, and you can learn so much about culture and different cultures. Anything, anything, honestly. That I mean, that's the main. Yeah. At least, yeah. yeah. My dad told me that that was the main, I mean, like you read, you're considered a, a smart person. Yeah. Yeah. So it was great. I loved it. And you, st- and you still obviously love reading, huh? I love reading. I love reading. Are you, are you more like a Kindle person now? Or no. Is it still a- <laughs> I, am not. I am old school. Turn the page. No, that's the best. I mean, I don't really read. I can't, be, I can't lie. It's more, like, more reading on my phone, which is bad. Yeah. It's bad. Well, <laughs> but it's, you're it's, reading emails. But- yeah, it's generational too, right? Like, I, um, yeah, I still need to hold the book in my hands. But my kids, they read on their phones and they read on their screens and yeah yeah i mean it's just like do you, do you try to make them read or i do yeah they still I, i'm grateful actually they still read books they they both still read books and actual books <laughs> but <laughs> it's just the way the world is now right like we we spend so much time on our screens so yeah yeah, yeah. anyways so bring us into um you know how you started off in your career and like kind of obviously like I assume when you were a kid, you weren't thinking about like Google because that thing thought it it, it was. Yeah. So how did you, you know? Yeah. The whole thing, the whole shebang, you know? Yeah. Well, um, so the other piece that I haven't talked about, which was very core to who I, who I was and who I am is I was also really committed to um, education as, as just a value and the importance of education And I spent a lot of time in high school volunteering um, by tutoring and uh, working in volunteer educational pursuits. And would you just say that's something you were just kind of like a trait you were born with? Or did you like follow values from like your parents or friends or? Well, it was probably a combination of um, my school 
definitely had a community service uh, vibe. Vibe. I don't know if that's the right word, but <laughs> yeah, well, I was gonna say requirement, but that makes it sound. I think it was a requirement, but it also. But you obviously went ahead. Uh, I enjoyed above and it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it had a community service vibe, and one of the things that I did through that was there was a school called the Harlem Storefront School, which was up on 129th, and um, you could go and volunteer there and read to kids and help them learn to read and help them, you know, and I, I just absolutely loved it. And I really enjoyed working with kids. And so education was always lingering as well. Like, yeah, like mentorship or just teaching yeah, in general. Teaching, yeah. right. Working with kids. So that seems like a more gradual nurturing yeah. Uh, pa- or passion you had. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. And so, um, so when I graduated from college, I wasn't a hundred percent clear on what I wanted to do. I knew what my interests were and, um, I ended up taking a position, which was a pure entry level position but it was at the New Yorker magazine. (laughs) And that completely fit because the New Yorker is, in my opinion, um, one of the greatest literary magazines. I don't think I've... You know the New read. Yorker. You know I know it. the New Yorker. You know I know because the cool art. I know the cool art and everything. I don't know if I've ever read. Well, the New Yorker. Like you know it. You probably know it partly because of the cartoons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, yeah, the the cover pages are beautiful. The cover pages are like nothing you've ever seen. They're absolutely stunning, and they do probably I think the best cover of any magazine out there. Um, and the writing is some of the best writing that you'll read. And so. I, my hope was to go work there on the editorial side and hang out with cool writers and, (laughs) you know, be in, be on that side of things. But I ended up getting a position on the business side. Um, and it was pure administrative assistant position, but I was still excited because it was a really interesting time to be there because they had just had a new editor in chief take over and, it's also just a legendary publication. Like it's been around. So you had, you just had an appreciation. So yeah, you just, yeah, you saw your pride and you I, just, you well, got that to business. Start somewhere. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So I worked in the magazine. I ended up working in the magazine world for about three years. And while I was there, I still, I knew somehow that I wanted to get a graduate degree. I wanted to go back to school and I wasn't sure what degree, but I decided. Oh, you just knew you want to go back to school. I, I knew I wanted to get a graduate degree. I knew I wanted to get a master's for sure. And I wasn't, wasn't clear on whether I wanted a master's in English literature or something else. And I was, again, I was trying to be practical and I thought, well, what am I going to do with a master's in English? Like, I don't <laughs> so I decided to, apply and go get my master's in education. Um, Because I, well, when when you talk about like a moment, right, what made you switch? I had a moment where I was walking to work one day at 
the magazine and I walked past a church. And you know how churches have sometimes outside, they'll have those like bulletin boards or the boards where they put messages up yeah. for services or what have you. And I walked past a church and there was a message that they had put up on their board. And it was a quote by William James, who was the brother of the author Henry James. They both wrote many great books and pieces. And you're going to ask me what the quote was, and I'm not going to be able to tell you it word for word. (laughs) But the quote was basically saying, the best way to achieve immortality is to is through teaching others, right? The best way to to leave this world is by yeah, having your mark. having having done something to repair it. And so I had this moment of like, what am I achieving? What am I doing? <laughs> what? Oh am- my god! Yeah, those those moments suck though. <laughs> yeah, very like very. Yeah. But, um, so I just so wow, that apply. motivated you. That motivated me, and I said, "I'm going to go back and get my master's in education." Now, now, let's say someone wants to get into teaching, like a, a kid that's listening in on this. Yeah. What are some like, and I and I I never can ask this question correctly because every because I always ask it differently. But like I like to say curveballs or like unforeseen things that you like should know. You know, like what, like basically, I guess I'm gonna ask it like this: like, what do you wish you knew before getting into education? Like, oh, I wish I got better at this skill or X skill or Y skill or like, you know, that like, or you. Yeah. Okay. So much. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Are you ready? I think education, education. I'll tell you now, as a kid, and like I know other kids, everyone thinks it's just like, oh, like why do I need to do any of this? Like, why can't I just go up? say, hey, one plus one is two, boom, you know, like, I don't know, I think it's very, un, like, you know, un, underrated, maybe is the word, or like, not many people like, understand the, mm-hmm. same with like, acting, for example, as well, right? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, well, I will tell you, in my opinion, being a teacher is the hardest job in the world. You can believe that. And the most can be the most rewarding and is the most underpaid and is probably maybe one of the most underappreciated. I was just saying, yeah. And this country does not put enough value or resources or funding or investment in education. And it's a real problem <laughs> because. Yeah. I believe that education is everything. It's everything. I mean, you're you're shaping the future generations. You're shaping future generations. You're um, like if it's bad, then the future's bad. That's kind of like that's. I feel like the one. You know, I mean, yeah. that's not, not as simple as that, but you know. Yeah. I get exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So, what do I wish I had known? I mean, I think it's really important if you're considering education to be clear on or to to figure out what age you want to teach uh, if you're going to be a teacher because I can tell you I taught middle school I taught sixth seventh and eighth grades and that is not teaching that is disciplining <laughs> because- <laughs> oh man I, I was just like in middle school a few years ago and I can tell you now I probably wasn't also the greatest <laughs> listener 
<laughs> Student. I mean, look, the kids at that age, you know, the hormones are going. They're yeah. they're figuring stuff. You can't out. really blame them. You can't really. Yeah, blame you them, can't. But it's really, really hard to be a middle school teacher. I mean, I give middle school oh. teachers so much credit. Um, I actually taught high school for a while. I taught ninth, tenth, and twelfth grades. I loved teaching high school. Um, and then they, you know, yeah, they, they're more focused on like shoot college. Like I got to pay attention. I got to learn. You yeah, know? that's of, also part of one of my heroes described teaching high schoolers or high schoolers as the moral philosophers of our time, which I really liked. I like that phrase. Yeah. So, so you did. So you did teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you teach? Well, so uh, English, but <laughs> but well, yeah, I, I guess I should have assumed. That. Yeah, yeah, no. So I got my master's and um, I taught. English mostly. And then when I was teaching middle school, because it was middle school, I ended up also teaching math and science. And it was a, it was kind of a unique school, actually. It was an interdisciplinary curriculum. So the way they did it was they taught English and history together. And they taught math and science together. Um, and so I ended up teaching a little bit of everything, but yeah. So, and then, yeah, how, you know, how is your, and like, obviously now, you know, at Google, and then you said you mentor people there and I bet those people are much older than middle schoolers. Yes, they are. So, yeah. Um, but in, for you, just as a teacher, it seems like you've been doing it for a while and like, um, how has your teaching style like evolved over the years? Hmm. Well, one one specific way I can think of is when I was a young teacher or my early years in teaching, it felt really important to have all the answers. And if I didn't have all the answers, then it undermined my authority. And that makes Mm. sense because I was closer in age to the students that I was teaching at the time. But now I know that one of the best qualities in a teacher is to say, when you don't have the answer, is to say, you know what, I don't know. But I will look into that, or I will find out, and I will come back to you. Or, that's a really good question. I hadn't thought about that. Let me go see what that's about, right? And just being willing to learn as much as your students are because you need to yeah, role can't model get that. so ego and be mm-hmm. like i'm higher than them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and this is like this is probably more of like a personal not personal but like it's a it's like a question like that you probably don't get asked much but i've been asking people do you ever feel with your career imposter syndrome and if you Absolutely. do, then how do you deal with that? Like, I, I would feel it. I don't know. I'm just imagining as a teacher, I feel like if I was that, I'd, I'd think that, like, sometimes, like, these new fresh kids or Google, you know, they're coming in, and I know they're, like, they've grown up with tech, they're savvy or whatever, and I'm, like, I might, I might feel a little scared. I don't know. I was just yeah. curious. But. Yeah, absolutely. No no doubt. I have experienced it many times. And um, Yeah, what tips and tricks would you give, though, to, you know, I guess yeah. kids now to not – yeah. Or at least try to handle it better, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's probably no um, easy <laughs> or, or trick, but um, 
But one is simply reminding yourself regularly what your strengths are, asking other people for feedback on what your strengths are so that you can hear it from others, right? What they see in you. And also reminding yourself regularly that you deserve to be wherever you are, doing whatever you're doing just as much as the next person. And if you don't know something, you have the resources and the capacity to figure it out. <laughs> now we have the internet, right? Like there I didn't go. have uh, the internet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know my dad was saying he had to like go through books and stuff to find the answer to something. It's yeah. Crazy. But um, yeah, then I'm also curious of how you, you know, and this is more of another, this is another mindset kind of question, mm-hmm. right? This, this, this question or answer can translate to any person, but how, how are you like, and I can also imagine the teacher again, like, how are you not too hard on yourself? You know, for example, I don't know, for me, I feel like if like someone asked me a question and I didn't know it, I might be like, I don't know if I'm embarrassed, but then like later I might be like, oh my God, like so embarrassing. I don't know anything. Like I couldn't even ask this, answer this simple question the student have, mm-hmm. you know, you get what I'm saying, you know, yeah. how, how are you not too hard on yourself? It's really hard not to be hard on yourself. I think, <laughs> I think it's a daily struggle especially for new teachers. Um, I am, I'm thinking about, why am I blanking on the name of that show? The TV show that's set in Philly in the school. Um, oh, hang on. <laughs> I have no idea what you're it's, talking It's a about. brilliant, it's a great, no, you do, because, um, hang on. See, this is where I use my resources. <laughs> Hey, Google. Thank, thank Google. Thank Google. <laughs> thank you, Google. <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, no, that's, that's, it's def- uh, You also don't want to be like not hurting yourself at all though, because then you might not improve. Yeah, I mean, or, it's, oh, Abbott, El- Abbott Elementary. Okay. Oh, oh. Abbott Elementary, which is, which was created. It's a TV show and it was created by Quinta Brunson and it's a comedy. It's a sitcom. And it's one of the best uh, depictions of what it's like to teach in a public school in Philly and the daily struggles of what teachers experience. Um, it's, it's so on point. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's real. It's real. Like they go through it every day. Every day you're asking yourself, did I take the right approach with this kid? Did I not take yeah, the right I bet, approach? I bet your yeah. teaching style will not always appeal to every kid the most effective way. Absolutely. Which it can't, it, can, it never can. Right. Yep. It's like, and that's what I ended up focusing on as part of my master's program, which in education, which led me to my next phase in my career, which was a really big part of my master's program was focused on at that time, uh, diversity and what was called diversity and multiculturalism at the time. And it was all about how to teach to a diverse group of students and how to incorporate diverse voices into the curriculum. Just mm. to your point around, you can't teach the same way to every kid. Yeah. Right. You have to recognize that your students are different. And everybody's got their yeah. own different learning style. And that's the part that I loved the most and I was the most curious about. 
Yeah, I'm also realizing like, and like this is a question I like to ask a bunch of people as well, but, and it's also, I'm curious for teaching. So I like to ask about work-life balance Mm -hmm. and how maybe, I mean, we'll talk about how you do it now, but also like when you're teaching, you know, like I bet you, and I don't know how it is and that's why I'm asking you, but like, for example, some people, like I was interviewing a lawyer and she was telling me like, there's not really that because you're, you're doing it at home, you're doing it at work. But I bet like some people make the argument that a teacher can have that easily because when like school ends, you're done. You know what I mean? I know you're not done, but like, but anyways, how did you manage that? And like, you know, what would you say to people that say, oh yeah, you definitely have one easily because you end at like whatever, three or four and you're done. Yep. Here's my answer. It's a myth. <laughs> Total myth. If we want to do, I mean, you, no myth- matter what you're grading, you're grading out of school. I can imagine that. Or like, let me tell you, responding let's, to let, let's do some myth busting. This is why I say being a teacher is the hardest job there is. Because yeah, you may be in school on site from eight to three, or eight thirty to three thirty, but then once school is over. You're grading papers, you're writing curriculum, you're maybe sponsoring some extracurricular activities, you're doing the work that you need to do for the next day, for the next class. And then in the summertime, because teachers are so underpaid, most teachers have other jobs. It's not like they're on summer vacation. Right? They usually, oh, yeah, no. I, some of my teachers I heard are working summer jobs, which is just Yeah, so I would say there is no such thing as work-life balance. For First of all, I would say that um, I don't love the term work-life balance. It's a term that yeah, I... Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people in the show have said they don't like the term, and I keep using it so people tell me that. You yeah, know? yeah, I don't really know. I don't know what it means, right? I don't work. Well, so. <laughs> the, the idea of balance implies that there's this even or equal split right? Between work and life. And so what I like to say is it's work-life prioritization or it's work-life integration because you're always figuring out the mix and it's not going to be a perfectly even balanced split. Yeah. I mean, also I'm curious then if like, cause you're always work, I mean, you're grading at home, whatever. And, and this is another mental question, again, it applies to everything. Sure. But, like, it must be – and, like, as well, we didn't talk about, like, in, you know, what students might be saying about you or the way they treat you might not oh, be the boy. greatest. <laughs> yeah. And it must be emotionally taxing, I can bet, right? How how do you – for anyone who feels like they're very emotionally taxed, how would you tell them, like, what methods have you, like, learned over the years on how to, like, help, I guess, like, you know, help with that? Yeah. Not big question, easy. Big question. Not easy. Yeah. I'll tell you the simplest. It sounds really simple, but I really believe it. I think you have to take the approach of if you make a difference with one kid, it's worth it. Right? Like, you're not necessarily going to reach every single kid, or every single kid isn't going to love you. But if you find a way to help or prepare or move forward one kid, that's it. That's it's worth it. Worth it. Think about a teacher who you've had 
who uh, hopefully you've had at least one in the whole course of your life who you think about and you say to yourself, that teacher was an amazing teacher, right? No, for sure. Have you had one? Of course. Okay. Have you had seven? Seven? <laughs> I don't know about seven. Right. But... Exactly. Right? It, the, the most, the best teachers are, you know, you're not, you're not going to find amazing teachers every single day. And there are, but there is one that somehow influenced the way you think or made you see the world differently. Yeah, I mean, no, I could definitely, you know, I can think of actually, I probably can think of multiple. That's good. Like there was this, yeah, no, teacher, Mr. Toledo, mm-hmm. Mr. O'Hagan. I remember these guys. Oh, man. And those are like fourth grade. Yeah. I just remember. Right. I remember. And there's some teachers I probably didn't like. Sure. And you, and you don't know when you're going to find them, right? Like for me, it was my astronomy teacher in 11th grade. Wow. And random. No one random, would have. Right? Astronomy. He was one of the best teachers I ever had. Mm-hmm. And so. Well. Yeah. Took me. Took me. How did. Class. Yeah. So then we really dive deep, but then how did you go into. Sure. Your career now. Sorry, I know this is. So I'll tell you the short version. So the short version is I came out of grad school. And as I said, a big part of that course of study was focused on diversity. And I said, I want to somehow pursue a career in that. And I had no idea what that looked like. And I ended up working. I I actually uh, did a project first that led me to this full-time job, but that's kind of a long story. But I ended up working in the not-for-profit world um, for an organization called the Anti-Defamation League, which is an organization that's focused on anti-bias and anti-prejudice you know, and has a whole educational arm that is focused on going into schools and teaching students how to be peer leaders around diversity topics. And um, the organization helps students and teachers and parents and administrators um, with, at the time, what was best described as diversity training. And it was a really good blend of my interest in education and my interest in diversity. So I went into the, that space and it also incorporated teaching. So it was like a win, win, win. And I ended up uh, working in the not-for-profit space for at least four years, three to four years, at which point um, I knew I wanted to transition into the for-profit space. And I ended up taking a job at Goldman Sachs (laughs) because they were launching their firm-wide diversity training program for all employees. Wow. Yeah. So the the short version is I went from not-for-profit to Goldman Sachs, worked in their global leadership and diversity um, team for seven or eight years. 
and did diversity and inclusion work for all that time, and then went from there to Bloomberg, as in Mike Bloomberg's company, former mayor Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg. Did diversity and inclusion work, started started their diversity and inclusion. Oh, so still kept... kept. Yep. At the diversity. Wow. Yep. yep. Um, focused on both learning. So inside corporations, it's usually called learning and development. Um, so so learn- were you teaching people during this time about yeah. like I mean, diversity I, I mean, or you're more just handling it? Like No, yeah. Actively, actively, you could call it teaching. I mean, it, inside a company, they don't necessarily call it teaching. They usually call it training or learning. Oh, yeah, but, training. But yeah, but I was facilitating. I was. So you still had that. Yep. You're still doing the the teaching. Yep. Training, just, mentoring, yeah, whatever. Just yeah, two adults. Yeah. <laughs> For adults. Would you say it's a funny question? Would you say it's easier to teach adults <laughs> than like high than, than high school students, not middle schoolers? Oh but high school students. Such a good question. I think it is hmm. Is it easy? <laughs> Adults are. I feel like you ask a kid, they'd assume adult, but yeah, I'm curious. I was gonna yeah. say, you know, adults might be better behaved, <laughs> if you want to call it that. But I'm not sure they're such great listeners. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when you're an adult, you're more stuck in your ways yeah. and like. Yeah, absolutely, not- absolutely, a hundred percent. Think about and then a, you know a yeah. teenager's mind and how untrammeled it is right like you're still curious you're still open you're yeah still, right here yeah <laughs> yeah but um then how do you how do you try like what like when you're teaching and like i guess i'm gonna say classroom even though i know it's probably not called a classroom environment for when you're yeah. teaching adults either yeah it is sometimes. but like what 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 atmosphere do you like like how do you like create a certain atmosphere like what kind of atmosphere do you try to create sure yeah um well i like to keep it very interactive. I do. I am not a lecturer, so it's not me standing up there lecturing. See, I'd like you. I'd like you as my teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I like to keep it really interactive. I make clear at the beginning that I want and welcome questions. Um, that I usually try and set it up so that we're having a, a large group conversation, and then also people pair off into smaller groups or trios or, you know, pairs, um, so that the people who are less comfortable talking in front of the whole group are comfortable talking with maybe just one other person. So again, taking into account introversion, extroversion. And do you just recognize that? Like you just recognize who's kind of what? Yeah. I mean, you're not doing like a, a, a like diagnostic on everyone, but you're kind of like, oh, that person's more quiet. That person's more. Yeah, you have to. As a facilitator or a teacher, you have to notice the voices in the room that are quiet just as much as the voices in the Wouldn't room. Wouldn't it just be easier if you could just give like everyone a poll, like, what do you think you are? Boom. Then you could be like, okay, great. That for, you know, no. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, that's an important thing to notice. So yeah. So very, sh- that, that's the best environment, I assume. Collaborative sharing. Yeah. You know, if you ever have someone who seems, so this is, and this is a question I have for myself too. So I run like uh an affinity group, mm-hmm. right? It's an Asian affinity group. Yeah. And there's some people that are very engaged, you know, because I'm, I'm like, I'm running it. And some people who aren't engaged, mm-hmm. I've had mixed opinions on what I should do with people not engaged, ah. right? I wonder what you do. Do you try to make them more engaged 
or I've heard people say you kind of not give up, but like you focus on the more engaged people and then you just focus on them, you know, I don't know. I'm wondering, do you try to make the less engaged, more engaged, or I, I keep saying engaged a lot, but yeah. you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I do try and encourage everyone to participate in a way that they feel comfortable. So if I'm seeing that someone seems less engaged, I will try to interact with them in some way, right? Like, because sometimes people seem disengaged or they're quiet and it's just because they're too scared to... Oh yeah, no, that was me in uh, high school, uh, ninth grade. Yeah. I, did this, I, I just said this to someone else. I had a Spanish class and I like almost failed it, but I was so scared to ask questions because it felt like everyone else was understanding. Sure. So I never wanted to, I didn't want to like trail, you know, like like make the class go slower. So I was too scared. So I just sat there and like completely got, like kept drowning and like, you know, it was bad. But. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's about approaching the person or those folks after the meeting is over, like more one-on-one and saying, how are you finding the meetings? How are you finding the conversations? Like, what are you enjoying about it? Or what, you know, what's working for you? What's not working for you? And just being interested in what they have to say. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the best. Do you ever, and like with Google now, maybe not with Google, because it's not as, but just in general, when you're teaching, and maybe let's say it is you being not effective mm-hmm. or something, are you able to recognize that? Because I know it's like there's some, and I'll tell you this because it's high school though, that some people think like this teacher is a bad teacher, which is what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. But then but then it's like, you know, like I don't know. I, I have some kids that will be like, okay, like like 20 of us, we all failed the test. Like, yeah. some, like something's up or something like that. I know it's not te- you're not testing, but like how do you make sure, and this is another mindset question, that you – stay like proactive with improving yourself and like not getting too inflated where you're like, my teaching's perfect. Why are they not getting it? Versus like, okay, I might need to change my approach. Right. You're hitting on a really critical point, which is that as a teacher, you can't get complacent. You can't rest on your laurels. You can't say, oh, I know everything there is to know now. And I can just sit back and trust that all of my classes are going to go well that's education, right? You have to constantly learn and try new methods and adjust to new generations. And you have to continue your own learning process and your own learning journey and your own education just as much as the, your students are. It's, I mean, it's yeah, a, that's it's the a, ideal mindset, but how yeah, many have I mean, that? Well, that's, that's at least that's what I think. No, that that sounds more correct than, you know, some other, I feel like, mindsets people would have. But um, as well then, you know, what uh, for aspiring teachers, because I know I, I have, I know a bunch of kids actually, it's it's nice. They are into, you know, wh- whether it's this or like history. I know someone who's into um, teaching history when they're older. Mm-hmm. What personality traits would you say like, hey, get it, start, start like improving now, you know? Oh. I think curiosity is probably one of the most important, right? Being really curious about people and why they behave the way they do. Um, Being really curious about what lights someone up, like noticing when someone gets really excited about something. Um, Definitely patience. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
I would say. Um, the patience is a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, I, I would also say like noticing your own energy levels and be and knowing when your energy is low and when your energy is high and why. Because if you're going to yeah. go into a classroom with low energy, your students are going to be low energy. It's just like so you set the tone. You set the. T- I was going to say I can see the more I talk to you, the more I can see. Oh, it's all, and like it's not the exact same, but like you're performing yeah you know to people and you're kind of performing when you're a teacher you know you're on, you you're like up it's, there you're on the spotlight all eyes teaching, on you teaching is performing teaching is performing and that that's kind of cool that you you still like the little you who did like the act it's still like there i don't it's know still I, there. I, maybe that's like yeah <laughs> it's still absolutely that's how i bring it in yeah that's one way i bring it in mhm yeah i mean so but what would you yeah i mean would you, would you say though, because I know a bunch of kids as well are worried about, you know, they're like, I want to be a teacher, but I'm worried about like, the future of teaching. Yeah. And this is a more like, obviously this is a, it's obviously a more recent question. Yeah. But like, how would you comfort, like, how would you comfort those kids? Obviously you don't know like about what's going to happen either, but like. I completely understand the sentiment of worrying about the future of teaching, given everything that's going on right now, given our political climate, given how hard teaching is. And I still think it's the most rewarding job in the world. I think when you- I, mean, I can imagine. Imagine yeah, like when a kid you, going up to you and be like, you changed my life or something. Yeah. Like, I'd be like, like, think about folks who get up at the Academy Awards when they win an Oscar, every now and then you'll get someone who says, I want to thank my teacher, Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so. What other profession is being thanked when people are making Oscar speeches aside from parents? Nothing. Yeah, but that's a, that's a whole profession in itself. Right. But like, you know, <laughs> teachers affect the the future. Teachers are, you know influencing and changing people's lives every day yeah so i think it's almost like you don't live for the moment you live for like after i don't know maybe i'm wrong about that no that's a beautiful way of saying it like i wonder i wonder if like you taught like i don't know about you but like if i was teaching someone in middle school and then like it was pretty bad and hard but then like they'd come back one day and be like you know you taught me something that happens a lot and I'll tell I, like you, I gotta appreciate my teachers more now after after talking to you. I gotta like thank yeah. them. Oh so I'll God. tell you a little thing that I've done as a parent, because I was a teacher. I I forced this is the one thing I forced my kids to do. At the end of every school year, I forced my kids to write thank you notes to their teachers. Uh and are they embarrassed or are they they they? No, like because the thank you notes that I got from my students were so meaningful and powerful and have stayed with me. I should have, I should do that. Well, it's oh, not man. too late. I, it's not too late. I know. No, I, I got when I'm just thinking like how, yeah, it must be so meaningful. It's such an easy thing for us to do. And we just don't do it. It's an easy know. email. It doesn't have to be long, but I can tell you it means so much to them. 
I'll send you my thank you note. I'll show you how it looks. You grade it. Okay. But anyways, as yeah, as a teacher in general, mentor, Google, everything, you've hit I mean, you've gone through all walks of life from acting all the way to teaching. And this has been a great episode so far. Thank you again. Sure. Um, you know, I'd like to ask this final question on the show of like, let's say, and you know, it, this might be easier for you because you are a teacher, <laughs> but like, let's say you're in a room full of kids like me, 17, whatever, right? And we're young. And we're like, we're like, you know, Ilana, Ilana, like we are scared because mm. we don't know what we want to do when we're older. We don't know what life is going to be like, you know, mm. and like, we're just like, how would you comfort them? That's really it. Cause that's all these kids are like, that's all we are, right? We have, we're trying to live life. We don't really know what, to, I don't know what the IRS means. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's a good thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I'm, I'm grateful for now, but um, what would you tell them? Yeah. I would say it's okay that you don't know. I would say you don't need to, you don't need to have it all figured out. I would say be open to different topics, different subjects, be open to conversations, to meeting new people, because you never know where your first job or your next job is going to come from, right? And if an opportunity seems interesting and you're curious about it, try it. Do it because you don't know what relationships you're going to build in that opportunity. And I, one thing that I know for sure is relationships have a big part to play in the course of a career. Like the people that you meet and that you build relationships with will end up really serving you in some way or another. So, um, those are, those are just some. I mean, yeah, you could probably go on forever and ever. Yeah. Right? But... Yeah. But I think, you know, I do think that there are kids your age and when I was your age, I don't think it's changed. I think people feel pressure like, oh, I have to I have to have it all figured out or I have to. Definitely. I, have to, I, I feel that sometimes too. Yeah. You know, I have to know what I want to do and um, you don't, you don't because you'll, you, you will figure it out. You'll figure it out through trial and error or you'll figure it out through even taking a job and finding out, oh, I definitely don't like this. Right? That's one way to figure it out. It's like, I do not want to do that. Like, no, no experience is like a bad experience, kind of. Like, if right. you don't like something, you don't think it's a waste of time, you should think, well, now I know that that's not something I want to do. That's a perfect way to frame it. No experience is a bad experience. There's a gift and opportunity in every experience. Well, thank you, Alana, so much again for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. It's just, it was just great. But um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking me. And thanks for being such a good conversationalist.